Thanks, Brenda. Oh, microphone's working this time. That's great. In the first service, the microphone didn't work, so we had a small technical issue. Um, well, let me just add my welcome to Brenda's welcome to everybody here. It's so wonderful to see you and to those of you online as well. Um, Wade asked me to speak this morning uh, a few weeks ago, and I thought, he said, you can talk about anything you like. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's dangerous. Um, and um, I was like, oh, what, what, what am I going to talk about? Um, and um, we have our retreat coming up next weekend, and the theme of the retreat is, is refuge. And I thought, oh, it would be a great idea to, um, to do a sort of lead-in to, to the retreat. Let's talk about God as our refuge. And I must confess, when I thought about it first, I was like, this is going to be a shoe-in. It's going to be dead easy. There's going to be loads and loads of um, sermons on the internet I can look at, get some inspiration from, put a few things together, and and it will be be very straightforward. Um, how wrong I was. Um, I must say, there was lots of um, resources on the internet. There were lots of things that I looked at. But the more and more I read them, the more I was convinced that they weren't actually what God was trying to say to us this morning. Um, and so I was quite troubled. Um, I spoke to Wade and I tried to get out of it in a way. <laughs> I said, oh, do you think this is still a good idea? Maybe I'm stealing the thunder from the retreat. And as you can tell from the fact that I'm standing here today talking about refuge, he, um, he encouraged me and affirmed the choice. Um, so I was, I was struggling. And... Um, Essentially, it wasn't until, and this is going to sound a little bit strange, I'm sorry, but it, it wasn't until um, uh, I, I had a dream, and I believe God gave me this dream, which actually helped me understand the passage that we are going to talk about today. I will tell you about the dream in due course, um, uh, and um, but let's turn to the passage first, which is uh, Psalm 62, which Brenda read for us so nicely at the beginning of the service, um, and we'll read it again together now. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O oh people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of a high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. God has spoken. Twice I have heard this. 
that power belongs to God and to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. Yeah, so how to understand this psalm? Um, And um, I think I'm going to share with you now the dream that I had so that I can set the context of today. So in this dream, I was applying for a university place. I know it's bizarre, I'm nearly 50 years old, but I was applying for a university place. I completed all the forms. I had good grades, of which I was suitably proud. I had written essays and was in the process of submitting my application. And in this dream, to submit the application, I had to go to what looked like a supermarket checkout, you know, with a with the conveyor belt, um, and I put the application letter on the conveyor belt as it should be, and then somebody handed me a, an envelope full of cash, uh, and I put that on the envelope uh, on the belt as well. And then there were lots of other gifts, like big boxes of fruit and biscuits and all the things that you see around Chinese New Year. I can't quite remember whether I felt totally comfortable with this in the dream or whether I resisted such um, (laughs) behavior. Um, I knew I had worked really hard and I had great grades, um, but I was persuaded that I needed to do everything uh, to help the process, to make sure that the right people got the right documents. Um, And as the uh, envelopes and the gifts made the way along the conveyor belt, um, the checkout lady, it was definitely a checkout lady, it was not a university professor, or maybe she was, um, picked up my application. Uh, There was a technical problem with it, and I woke up without a university place. Okay, maybe it was an anxiety dream. I mean, we're going through as a family a lot of transition this year. My son's in his final year at school. Um, There's obviously university applications are in my mind. Um, And uh, (laughs) um, in fact, there are lots of anxieties and lots of transitions. um, And actually preparing for this sermon has actually really taught me a lot um, about uh, having God as a refuge. But it really, really brought home to me how many times we put our trust in things other than God um, to help us succeed, to help us just get that extra mile. We believe in our minds notionally that God is our refuge. We know that he is our strength. We know and trust him for our ultimate salvation. But actually we live our lives day to day as that's as though that's irrelevant or, or not really doesn't really matter. So taking that in mind, I'm going to turn to the text. Um, I'm sure we'll have the text up on the screen in a moment. Um, I will try and analyze it, hopefully a little bit together with you, and hopefully we can understand it together. Um, so first things first, you might notice that I've used the ESV, the English Standard Version today, rather than the NIV, which we often use in community church. And the reason for doing this is actually um, the translation from the Hebrew follows the pattern of the Hebrew much more closely. And there's certain things um, that the Hebrew uses which I find quite beautiful and important in the way in which this is written. 
So structurally, this psalm is 12 verses. Um, it can be broken down into three sort of stanzas of four verses each. Uh, one to four um, and five to eight are similar in they are uh, talking about David's trust in God. And then the last stanza explains how other sources of power um, and apparent refuge can't protect us from the very last line, which is the coming judgment of the Lord. And if we were to do my um, life group exercise, those people who've been in life group with me know that I, I like to, when I'm leading in a passage, I like to challenge everybody to take a passage and summarize the whole passage in one sentence, um, which is sometimes a challenge, but it's a, it's a good exercise, I think. Um, the main point of this psalm is that only God is our refuge. Only God is powerful. Only God is full of steadfast love. People, money, force, violence cannot pre protect us from our enemies. In, in the Hebrew, the emphasis is on that word only. Um, verse 1, 2, 4, 5, and 6, all of them start with the word only. So we kind of lose that in the English translation because it doesn't really work in the English language. But the emphasis is only God. The second thing to note is that there's this kind of progression through the psalm. In the first section, um, David says, his soul waits in silence for God. He's sitting, sitting, waiting in silence. And he goes on to say, in waiting in silence, he will not be greatly shaken. In the second set, so verses 5 to 6, David exhorts his soul to wait in silence. And he goes on to say, he will not be shaken at all. So he is encouraged and strengthened through these stanzas, even though he recognizes and pours out to God the trouble that he's in. We don't know what trouble he's facing, um, but in verses 3 and 4, it seems pretty clear that he's facing some kind of sustained and deep prolonged attack. I mean, he's, he's battered. That means over and over and over again. And David feels exhausted. He's actually ready to crumble. He's like a leaning wall or a tottering fence on the verge of collapse. And where is this danger coming from? Now, we don't know the historical context of this particular psalm, so we don't know whether there was some particular event that David was writing about. But what we hear from him saying is that these attacks seem to be coming from people who should be supporting him the most, from people who are close to him. And not only that, but their mouths are saying good things. Outwardly they bless, but inwardly they curse. This danger is insidious. It's from all around him. And as David moves into the second section, he doesn't call fire down on his enemies. 
No, he talks about how God is his hiding place. But not just his hiding place. It's more than that. It's his salvation and his glory. So David uses the images of rock and fortress. And we understand that God is able to protect. And we can want to, all of us, curl up and hide in the arms of God. And it's no bad thing. It's a good thing. It's a fantastic thing. But God is more than just a comfort blanket. God is so much more than that. He's our salvation and glory. He will elevate us. He will hold us up. It's often a very difficult thing to believe when you're in the midst of trials, in the midst of troubles, in the midst of anxiety. And this is where David tells us in verse 8, he says, pour out your heart before God. And when I was reading this psalm for the first uh, 15 times, I guess, um, I found this verse really challenging. I was like, I want to escape to God as refuge. I want to go and be protected. I don't want to go and open myself emotionally. I don't want to be opening myself spiritually. I wasn't ready to hear that. But the more I pondered on this psalm and the more I thought about God as our refuge, the more I became convinced that actually shelter is coming to God and pouring out our hurt and our hearts to him. That's exactly what David is telling us to do. He's our refuge. It's safe to open our hearts to him. He is our refuge. He wants to hear the pleas of our hearts. He's our refuge. There is nothing to hide from him. The final section of four verses deals with the other sources that, of strength that we might be tempted to put our trust in. He tells us that we should not put our trust in people. Firstly, we talk about low estate. Secondly, about high estate. What, what could we possibly, what could David possibly be talking about there? In relation to sort of the people of low estate, I think David's actually talking about popularity. Um, he's talking about how we might seek to find refuge in finding lots of friends and being very popular, liked by many people. Um, as an alternative, we might be trying to put our trust in friends in high places, you know, giving the right gifts to the right people, like the checkout lady in my dream, um, to make sure that our application is processed, that the pathways are made s smooth. Um, but David Taylor tells us that added together and weighed up, all of these things are lighter than a breath. They're meaningless. They're on the balance. They go up. And he talks about violence as well. When we look around the world today, we see many examples of people um, succeeding by using force or violence. I mean, look at what's happening in Russia and Ukraine. Look at the world of corporate takeovers. My profession in legal cases where people are using their might to succeed. But David warns us that we shouldn't put our hope in that physical strength and violence. 
David also talks about money, um, which is interesting and very good for us in a city like Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong is a very wealthy city. I know we have a massive, massive uh, income gap between the rich and poor. But actually, it's a place where money is an answer to a lot of problems. But David doesn't say that money is wrong. He just tells us that we should not set our hearts on riches, that our hearts should not be embedded in the riches as the source of our hope of our salvation. And this is actually a consistent theme uh, in the Bible, that while riches in themselves may not be bad, it's our attitude towards them that can be harmful. And Jesus said in Luke 12, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And Paul warns us in Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So how are we to synthesize all these things? Money isn't bad, but we shouldn't be using it. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think David is reminding us that actually it is God who has the powerful and steadfast love that rewards us all according to our work. And that is the prevailing message, that at the end of time, God will judge and reward everyone for what they've done. This has been understood for many centuries as um, being a terrible day of judgment when people will be punished for their sin. But in these verses, there's a real sense, firstly, definitely, that God is a God of power and might, and there's a consequence coming. However, I was really struck by the psalm's emphasis on God's steadfast love. It seems to me that God's love is the blanket that covers the whole of this psalm. God has mercy on those who wait for him. He has pity on the leaning wall and the tottering fence. He extends refuge for those who are betrayed by those closest to him. It's because of God's steadfast love, not just because of God's power, that we can trust that he is our refuge. So that's, that's the psalm. Um, but I wanted to understand a little bit more about what refuge means in the Old Testament and the Bible. So I thought it might be good to understand or trying to think about that. And I was immediately taken to the passage in Numbers 35, which talks about the cities of refuge that God ordained to be established when Israel came to the land of Canaan. These were six cities where somebody who accidentally killed somebody could run to. This was not to escape judgment. This was to give that person the possibility of being tried for their crime. The person could run to these cities and they would be protected there whilst they were put on trial. If they were found guilty then, uh, of murder, then they would be executed by their avenger. But if they were found guilty only of killing accidentally, then they would be allowed to live in the city of refuge until the high priest passed away. So God instituted this place of refuge in a way to deal with the brokenness of this world, a place where accidents happen 
to reduce the cycle of violence and pain, God put in place this refuge so that the endless violence and vengeance could be stopped. And if we look at the Psalms themselves, um, the, the, words, the Hebrew word that we use to translate as, as refuge, um, chasa, is used about 40 times. At least that's what I'm told by references that I read. I didn't do the research myself. Keviat. Um, and the word is translated as flee to, uh, to flee for protection, to seek refuge, to trust in, to confide in, to hope in. And each time it is used, it calls attention to sin and the wreckage that sin causes. When the Old Testament talks about a refuge, it speaks of a threat or something wrong or dangerous in the world. Psalm 46 reminds us that God is our refuge even if the world physically falls apart. And with climate change, maybe it will. Psalm 61 reminds us that God has been our refuge against our enemies. Psalms 31 and 71 reminds us that God is our righteousness and our refuge from shame. Psalm 142 reminds us that the Lord is our refuge from loneliness. And each time the, uh, the Bible uses this refuge, it reminds us we live in a world affected by sin, a world of danger and brokenness inside. Frequently we take these realities into our own hands. Uh, we consider God has given us means, resources, and strength to deal with the world around us. And while that's not untrue, <clears throat> it's only part of the story. Ultimately, as David said in verses 9 and 10, those things are a delusion. As we consider the idea of refuge in the Bible, we realize that each time it's mentioned, it brings our attention not just to the sin in the world, but God's power to save us, save his people from sin and its consequences. Verses 11 and 12 tell us that although there is a reckoning on that last day, the power and steadfast love belong to God, and he will be our refuge on that final day. This is a foreshadowing in the Old Testament of what we all know now to be true through Jesus. John 3.16 sums it up so well. That God loved the world so much that he gave us his only son. That whoever believes in him, in Jesus, shall not perish but have eternal life. That is our refuge. Now, as I said at the beginning of the talk, this theory is fantastic. We love it. It's really, in one sense, it makes so much sense. But how do we manage that when we are trying to get our kids into university, uh, when we are trying to uh, work out how this new job works, uh, when we are moving to a new city, when we are trying to make new friends? And here's where I'd like to share another example uh, with you. And I'm so glad that Carol shared with us this morning uh, the wonderful news about God's gracious provision for us in the church. Um, isn't it a miracle? We've spent a year, a whole year, in deficit as a church. Um, and in the very last month of the financial year, God has bountifully provided to such an extent um, that we look like we will be ending the year with a surplus Praise the Lord. 
Whilst I wish I could say that I, as a council member, um, and the rest of council, sat there waiting in silence on God, supremely confident um, that God would provide, I would be um, probably exaggerating a bit. Uh, We were anxious, for sure. Um, Definitely we were confident in the Lord's provision, but at the same time we were stressing on how the church was going to run where the money would come from. And in our anxiety and our worry, um, we thought and we prayed about it in the months leading up to the end of the financial year. And we reflected on the times that God had provided for us in the past, provided for the church, this church here, and for his people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We remembered his power, even in the mundane things, water, food, and his steadfast love. This encouraged us. And this is why I felt very strongly led to bring in the verse from 2 Corinthians, which is in your handout, um, uh, as a thought uh, for the day. And these are the verses. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. The comfort that we have received from God is the promise of refuge from physical danger, for protection from enemies, from shame, from the consequences of sin. And the ultimate comfort that we have is eternal life through belief in Jesus. So let us come to the Lord. Let us pour out our hearts. David, in this psalm, laid down his hurt before Jesus, before God. He lays down his heart before God. Let's do the same. Let's come before God, pour out our hearts to him, and trust in his love, his steadfast love, which is our refuge. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you that you are our refuge. We thank you that we can experience your refuge. And as we experience your refuge, Lord, we in this community, in Hong Kong, can share your refuge with others. As we have found a dwelling place in your presence, let us draw others into your dwelling place to protect them from danger, physical, emotional, spiritual. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. Amen. It's now going to be a small time for reflection uh, just on how God has provided refuge for you as you pour out your heart before him. And the music group will help us.